Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Joanna Kalowski, who is a Sydney-based mediator, facilitator and specialist in cross-cultural communication with a special interest and skill in mediating Indigenous land claims. Welcome, Joanna. Thank you, Jane. What a pleasure it is to be here with you at such a distance. Yes. So, Joanna, you're in Sydney, Australia. That's right, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm. Where, where it's winter. And so we're talking now at the very beginning of June. It's the 1st of June and um, thinking about what's going on in the world right now, 2021. Uh, so, Joanna, before we start, tell us a little bit about your background and what makes you so passionate about the work that you do? Look, it's, I've asked myself the question many times. I think it's because I want to be part of something positive. I want to be part of something that enables people, and I could probably stop there, that enables people. Mm. I think there are so many disablers around. Mm. I'm too shy. I'm too anxious. I'm not a business person. Whatever it might be. I love the idea of sitting with people and helping them discover that they actually can, that whatever it is they have in mind can be achieved, Mm. Um, maybe not by them and not only by them, but perhaps in concert with other people. And that's always been something that has been with me, I think. Yes, and, and and Joe, we are both mediators, so that uh, you know that work of enabling is helping people often who are in some kind of conflict or dispute, but often, you know, just as you say, to envision a different future, isn't it? it is and Jane, I often find that the people that I'm mediating that are that are in a mediation are not so much in conflict as stuck. Mm. They're out of ideas. Yes. And it seems to me that we are the generators of ideas, not that we have them, yes. but we, we create a climate in which people can say, I know this is crazy, but what if this? Yes. And all of, you, all of a sudden you have something to build upon. Yes. Uh, maybe love- at, at, at that point I can say, not so crazy, let's stay with that idea. <laughs> let's, let's go with it. Let's, let's explore. Yes. Yes. I, I love this idea of of getting people unstuck and then exploring and discovering and all of that because to me, mediation is very like a journey. You know, you start at the beginning and then you move through this stuck period, but you end up with, you know, uh, uh, all sorts of creative ideas that are uh, that wouldn't have been possible were you not in this process. And and in fact, that wouldn't have been possible if they hadn't open themselves up to the possibility that it is by actually coming and putting their backsides on a chair in a mediation. <laughs> and, and in fact, Jane, I've had a name for that for a while, which I hesitate. If, if you were filming me, I'd, I wouldn't be able to say this, but since you're not, I can say it only with my voice. I call it the cow in the road theory. Yes. People are happily motoring down a road, usually together. Yes. And suddenly the car stops because there's a dead cow in the road and it's much too large for them to drag it off. So they need help to drag that dead cow off the road and then continue on their way. Yes. And I think we are the, uh, the army of people that help remove 
large dead obstacles from the road that people were on before we ever turned up. Yes. I love that image, Joe. That's like yeah, well, it's a bit nasty, you know. People who are <laughs> perhaps it doesn't always dead. have to be a dead cow. It could be a boulder, I suppose. A boulder, a boulder. Yes, I have been saying dead cow. <laughs> Remove the boulder and make people bolder is what I think. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> so, Joe, I, I love the idea that you think about you know we're helping people, enabling people to think about problems because even when I was chairing. A board, you know, people say to me, "What skills do you bring?" And I say, it, it, "Everything is like a giant mediation." And and so I wonder what you make of the times we're in, because we seem to be living in very complex times with so many issues that are causing people a lot of pain. Um, and we have issues here about Brexit. We have issues about race, and I know that's something you've been deeply involved in. And of course, we're deeply embedded in in the whole crisis of of covid and trying to envision the world after that so all of that to me seems that we can bring these skills and this innate approach that we have to our mediation to some of these issues that are impacting the world right now i think we can and for me the most important um the most important tool that we have is our own lack of cynicism. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that unites us as mediators in particular is a kind of a, you'd almost have to call it quirky hopefulness. We don't lose hope. I'm not quite as um, sanguine as a mediator colleague of mine who once said, if only those people had been sitting in front of me, that matter would have been resolved. Now, I don't think that we can say that about many of the problems we're, sit, we're faced with. But I think we are the injectors of hope mm. into what are often very, very sad, very depressing and very, um, very difficult discussions people are having, partly because we're so polarised, mm. also because the situation no longer appears to promise that individuals can do much about their own fate. Yes. And for me, that means that is true only to the extent that we try to do it alone. Mm. Mm. If I think this is an age in which we're going to reinvent collectivism, and I don't mean collective farming in the, in the Soviet sense. I mean, I can't do this alone, but if I get together with all the women in my women's group or the people in my suburb, or the people who are concerned about microplastics in the ocean, then together we can at least begin to nibble away at a problem that concerns all of us. I think there's going to be a real reinvention of the idea that since we can no longer sit back and say, as an individual, I'm fine and this doesn't mm -hmm. affect me, I think we're going to find ourselves in groups. And that takes me to what you said about being the chair of a board. I've been the chair of many boards, including the board of leader, which, which is now the Resolution Institute, which yes. is, of course, the largest dispute resolution organisation in Australia. And it isn't that leaders have answers. It's mm -hmm. they know how to bring people together who together might find one. Yes, I, I like think that. Leaders don't aren't people who have the answer. Mm. They're people who believe firmly, as I think you do, Jane, that the answer is in this room. 
or an answer is in this room. Yes. So I walk into rooms when people say to me, well, we certainly hope you've got the answer today, mediator, because people <laughs> write out of ideas. And I say to them, you might be surprised because if we change the dynamic, people suddenly discover that there are unacted upon notions that they would never have called ideas which have some hope of creating a breakthrough. Now, in our present situation, I think we are, you know, if you talk about the post-COVID world, I mean, it is absolutely terrifying. Mm. Is the world as we know it going to be recoverable? And I think that we are going to have to adjust to a very new way of living, and we're living collectively. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because I know that this last year has been a challenge for many people because they have been insulated. You know, we've been forced to stay at home and found it hard to communicate. And I think one of the things we've got to understand how to do is to, to reconnect and really reconnect at this human level. Whatever technology we use, whether we're in a room, but I mean isolating ourselves from a problem or from the world or, or being in a, a bubble. One of the images I use for mediation is people being self-absorbed and as though they are in a bubble and they can't see beyond that bubble, which is themselves and their own perspective of the situation. And we've got to break out of our bubbles and, and be able to understand other people and the bubble that they exist in and then think, well, how can we all move forward together and we've got to do that as you say in a collective way but also in a connected way so we've got to find new ways of connecting I think I wonder what you well Jane yes because we've all expressed our hunger for connection yes during this period of isolation yeah what is it that everyone said I can't walk down the street I can't visit Auntie Martha in the nursing home oh. I can't drop in on my children and go and take food over when one of the little ones had you know, a flu and mother was up all night with that child. I couldn't go and drop a bowl of soup over because of the COVID restrictions. We've developed a hunger for connection, which we've got to capitalise on. Yes. Um, if people would like to return to their individual bubbles in the way you described it, I think we are in far greater trouble than if we remind people of that hunger to connect. And that that absence of walking down the street and smiling at strangers, or maybe not smiling at strangers, but just passing others by, mm. reminds us that we live in this in this a kind of environment where we are not alone, even if we live alone. Yes. So there's this this uh, this counter aloneness, which is not the same as togetherness, I don't think. But we've learned how hungry we are to be in groups, even if we don't know everyone, even if we don't connect with everyone, to sit in a theatre and experience a play together. Yes. A, a year and a bit ago I was in London and I went to see four plays on five nights with my son who came with me from Australia and I just sat there thinking how wonderful it was because I was in a large room of people, a large space of people, experiencing this moment of ephemeral theatre together yes. it will never be as it was that night even if it's played a thousand times yes but we were all there together and we gasped at the same moment and we clapped at the same moment and there's something very special about that mm -hmm. in the way in which it 
connects us in a society. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be able to remind people of that in order to fight off the cynicism that I think is growing because people have lost so much faith in government. So I wanted to ask you, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, is what are we learning? What opportunities are there to learn in this time? And, and I get the message that one of them is about connection and and also this sense of it's not just the connection, it's it's the environment that you create. So you talk about being in a theatre and creating that sense of being together. How, how do we create that? How do you create that in a, in a mediation, Joe? It's really interesting. People have asked me this very often because I talk about creating a climate conducive to communication. Mm. And people say to me, what is that about? And I can only talk about, very often only talk about what it's not about. It's not about the mediator saying, just a moment, Jane. Moment, Jane, hold that thought. I'm just about to ask something of Fred. Fred, over to you. Because I often say that if you treat people, and I mean in any setting, not just in mediation, as if you are a master puppeteer, Mm -hmm. you remove their agency. Mm -hmm. This is about restoring agency to people, to saying, I'll only stop you if you all talk at once and I can no longer follow what's going on Mm -hmm. because that's what I say in mediations. And I also say it in groups. I say, look, it'll be really helpful to you and to me if you actually listen to one another to the end of each other's sentences Mm -hmm. because then I don't have to interrupt and we can all let the ideas percolate and my role will be to hop in every now and again and say, did you all pick up the fact that there were four ideas just floated and they are one, two, three, and four. And I don't say this is the best one and the other one's ridiculous and who would even consider the third. My job is to gather the stuff as it flies through the air. Now, Jane, let me tell you where that idea comes from. I've done a lot of work over the years in New Zealand. Mm. And the first time I went to New Zealand, I was invited, as you must be, if you're going to be on New Zealand soil, to a marae. And a marae is a Maori meeting house, as many of your listeners and you will know, where you are welcomed on behalf of the ancestors. And one person will get up and do a 40 generations talk, which says, it is on this basis that I have the right to speak to you tonight, because I can trace myself back 40 generations to Hawaii, Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm which is a wonderful thing, uh, and, and it's, it has to be experienced to be believed. But the other thing they do is they bless the air through which our words will travel to one another. Mm. Yes. And I think that is absolutely top flight. Mm. The air is there for our words to fly to one another. And I want that to happen so that I can say to people, you know, just now somebody said this, can we pick up that thought? I think that's go- that could take us somewhere. My job is to catch ideas as they fly through the air, not to decide what should fly. Yes. Not to say, could we stick with what is relevant, please? Whenever I hear a trainee mediator use the word relevant, they're about to be in trouble with me. <laughs> Because I say to them, in mediation, you cannot know 
what is relevant. You can't know when people are just flying mm. and saying, look, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I'll tell you this for nothing. You know you're onto something because it's emerged from that feeling of possibility mm. of say whatever, say whatever crosses your mind, who knows where it will lead. And it very often leads us in precisely the direction that those people need to go. And I've often had people do that and have their opposite number say, well, I wish you'd told me that at the beginning of this dispute. I don't think we'd be sitting here today if, if I'd known that and so on. Absolutely. So this climate is not so much about what we do do as what we don't. Mm. Mm. We don't try to manage the communication, manage the conversation, decide what's relevant, say, tell, pull people up and say, you remember our guidelines, you're speaking very loudly. When, when people start to speak loudly, I often say, I get the sense that there's a lot of, a lot of, irritation, a lot of anger here that maybe has never been expressed before. So I want to say that it's there. And if one side, one party, three parties say, well, we don't want to go there, I'll say to them, what if it could take us to where we need to go? Mm. Can you hear this person's anger? Can you hear their pain? Mm. In the sort of mediations that I do, that becomes critical. Well, yes, Joe, and I think it's critical in society that we are able to hear and see what's going on for others. And, and, and I know there have been so many different perspectives on so many matters that we, uh, as we alluded at the beginning of this talk, so many issues that so many people in the world are, are dealing with right now. And, and if we can't understand what others are going through, if we can't have a real actual sense of what might it feel like to be that person what are they really experiencing and if they don't have the opportunity to articulate that in some way and I think what, what we do as mediators is we enable people and we allow them to to speak and to articulate uh, maybe we're just not listening enough in society at the moment to each other and and then look at how polarized we've become and I followed along because I was so interested. Look at how polarised we all became, even those looking on in the in the colonies like Australia, if I can call us a colony. Look at how polarised we, we became over Brexit. I mean, I read everything I could lay my hands on on Brexit, absolutely everything. And I heard, and you would have heard, and so would your listeners, many stories about people who stopped being able to have Christmas dinner together because one side of the family was a remainer and the other side was a lever. And out of that has grown this quite remarkable tribalism around beliefs, mm -hmm. so that if you don't believe what I believe on Brexit, I assume you don't believe what I believe on, I don't know, the Catholic Church or the Church of England or something, and all of a sudden all bets are off, when in fact we may disagree on Brexit but agree on a lot of other things, particularly things around the family. But people have barred one another over this very painful, difficult period. We have the same thing in Australia uh, but on different issues. I think every society has it. But imagine if we could have had a... Um, a kind of public debate that had been moderated by a band of mediators, merry band or brave band of mediators, um, 
we probably would have needed D'Artagnan and friends for this and had and demonstrated that you can end up on good terms with someone who's a Remainer if you're a Lever. Yes. And I just think it would have been wonderful to demonstrate that before there was this schism. I'm reading a wonderful book by an English author called James Mumford Mm -hmm. called Vexed. Have you heard of James Mumford? I have, but I've not heard of the book, so tell us more. And it's simply about how we've all divided ourselves off into tribes and so we can no longer speak to each other. Yes. And how you assume that if I vote X, I must believe X on the subject of Y as well as on the subject of Z. And I may be a grab bag of a variety of views, but these assumptions have led us into kind of into really into our trenches. Mm -hmm. And I think that's dangerous for a society because it makes us, firstly, it separates us, but secondly, it makes us manipulable. It makes us able to be manipulated. You know, all you true believers who think we should have remained in Europe better come over and listen to this person because it will be right up your alley. And so we all flock there, or do we? I don't know if we do. But the fact is that we all we have this in Australia as well, um, that we are strongly, strongly divided on some issues and they've become no-go areas. And that's something that I think is new. I I know, Joe. if we explore beneath the surface, which is our job as mediators, and we try and get people to articulate their why and what is it that matters most to them about something and what are the values that underpin that sense, often people find themselves agreeing at that level. They agree on the values level. They agree at this foundational human level with each other they just don't agree on the substance but they've lost the sense of we're all humans and we've all got human values and at the core level our human values are pretty much the same and we we probably still care deeply about a large number of issues even if one of them isn't brexit yes that we care deeply about access to education for our children and Um, safe transport at night for women or whatever it might be. We'd be united on a very large number of, of, in a very large number of areas, even if we're disunited on another one. And, And I think, therefore, we've had growing cynicism. I know that certainly here people will only read certain newspapers or follow certain blogs because they no longer want to be confronted with views that they don't share. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, as you've hinted too, Jane, the social media has created what's often called an echo chamber where people are only exposed to self-affirming beliefs. And the nature of society is to have to grapple with people with whom you don't agree. But as you've just said, they're still people. So we don't grapple with the people. We're grappling with the views. Yes. We can restore the peoplehood, the personhood, the the mutual respect, the sense that we all make up this society Mm. without agreeing on whatever the, the issue of the day is. And we're only going to get out of COVID, I think, and this the fears that it's created in us and the society that that it will leave behind if we can say we are quite genuinely in this together. There are going to be things we're going to have to do even though I'm, I myself am not at risk. Yes. But there are things I'm going to do despite that 
because I care about the world in which in which I'm living. So I, I wonder, Joe. Then talking about leadership, and, and my sense is that each of us now in this time we're in is a leader. You know, we're not now looking externally for who's the best politician to lead us and who's the best corporate leader. I my sense is, and indeed this podcast series really is about the leader within each of us. And yes, you know, what does each of us have to do? Do you think, Joe, from your perspective, to lead us forward in this time? Look, you've touched on something that I think is critical, and it's very much part of management um, um, thinking at the moment, and it's the idea of situational leadership. That mm. I might be a wonderful leader in the boardroom and a terrible leader if we went on a on a hike to the Brecon Beacons. So uh, the person who's the great leader there, who says, "Fellas, we're you know, ladies and gents, we're lost." <laughs> None of us have got. N- nobody had the smarts to bring a compass. The, um, you know, we're out here. It's freezing cold. Now, what are we going to do? Um, that emerges from situations. So once again, there is this sense in which everyone in the boardroom, everyone in the room, everyone we're sitting and talking with has an element within them of the leadership that a particular moment will require and will throw up. Yes. So if at some point we're going to need someone to laugh us out of it, it might be a very surprising person who does it. If there's someone who says, well, enough laughter, I think we've got a serious task on our hands, we're avoiding it, I propose we turn our minds back to what we have to do here and I'd like to hear from everyone on that, then that's another quality of leadership. I think everyone has sort of dormant leadership capacities, only we've started to think of leadership, as I think you've been hinting, as an individual quality. You know, when you say to people, who's a great leader, they say Nelson Mandela. Yes, he was. Or they say, um, you know, they'll name someone else that was very great, Mahatma Gandhi, whatever they might say, all true. But right now, sadly, they're not with us. Mm. We're going to have to find something of them in us because their role in our life, in our being, has been to inspire us with the idea that great ideas come from strange and unexpected places. So we put no one down. Yes. We don't say to people, look, that's irrelevant. Could we please stick with the subject? We say, why do you say that? And they say, because it just occurred to me that such and such, and you think, blow me down. That's exactly what we needed to hear. So suddenly we're on another path because someone had the gumption, you know, the guts to bring forward an idea that has been hanging around but hasn't been expressed. Yes. And and I think your belief in leadership is really described by two forms of leadership that are now part of the literature. One is situational leadership. And the other is adaptive leadership, the idea that leaders don't have answers, but they know how to get people together to find whatever answers there might be to a particular set of issues and to hear them out so that together they create something that no one of them could have done alone. And that also takes me back to something else that I've been interested in studying, Jane, and that's the idea of intersubjectivity. It is a different room because you're there. It's a different room because I'm there. And it's a different room because he's there, she's there, and they are there. Everyone brings 
everything they've ever done and everything they are into that room. So they themselves don't know how transformative their presence could be. And for years I've been saying that I went once to a veterinary chemical laboratory and I was about to blunder into the laboratory to have a look at how they grow bacteria in Petri dishes when they said, no, 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 you've got to go in that room and gown up. And they gowned me up almost as if I was in personal protective equipment and then gave me a large and nasty-looking thermometer and told me to stick it under my arm. <laughs> and, when, and when I told them what my body temperature was, they said, thank you very much, stay outside. We adjust the room for your temperature. Yeah. And I used to say to mediators, do we know what temperature we bring into the room? Yes. And do we know we cannot know what anyone else brings because we can't get them to stick a thermometer under their arm or their tongue. We've just simply got to know that there may be heat, there may be light, there may be cold, but that each person is going to bring in their own, their own special qualities. And we have to believe that that's possible. For me, that's a process of restoration post-COVID. Mm. We're going to... We're going to have to do something like this because we've missed society, but we fear it. Yes. If I'm in a group of people, I may have COVID transmitted to me by a person who's an unknown carrier, who doesn't know that they're ill, who has no symptoms, who's even vaccinated. That, that seems to be happening with some variants. So we've got to start to accept that some of the things that are going to happen are going to be accidental. Yes. And so is leadership. Leadership will be happenstance, will be a marvellous moment. And I'm, I'm, I'm anti-cynicism. I'm, I'm always full of hope, even though a friend told me the other day that the definition of a pessimist is a well-informed optimist. <laughs> I love it. I had to laugh and I said, well, you know, <laughs> you know I, that, I said, I think that's a realist and we agreed to disagree about definitions. But I think that there is a quality, not of optimism, but of uh, perhaps hopefulness that we will bring to the kinds of discussions that will start in despair. Yes. There are a lot of people who've suffered tremendous levels of mental distress during this time, certainly here in Australia and no doubt all over the world. Absolutely, Joe. Here, isolated, family loss, death, mm. fear, anxiety, loss of income, mm. and they're going to emerge from their burrows. Yeah, very different, and it's a restoration process. I love the sense that you're talking about togetherness, but also the thing that you've just explored which I know I have too, and for me came out of a book called Bringing Peace into the Room, which you probably know, Joe, where they talk about the three levels of development, which can be development as a mediator, but I think can be development as any professional or any person. Now I look at my grandchildren beginning to develop, and, and, and the first level is you develop, you, you develop some skills, you learn skills, it doesn't matter whether that's talking or learning to be a mediator or learning yes. to walk, and then you learn to practice those skills. So, you know, I see and see the children developing their language or their walking skills. But the third level of development is this growing awareness of who I am as a person, 
what I bring that impacts the situation. And as you say, what I bring from the whole of my being, the whole of my life before I entered this room or this situation, I bring with me and what impact might that have on the situation and everybody else that's there. And when you... And so does, so like, does everyone else in the room. And exactly. it's a gift. It's an, yeah. it's an exchange of gifts between yeah. us all. Yes. I love that idea. Jane, I don't know the book, so you're going to have to post it on the I'll post podcast. It in, the, in the notes. Yeah. Uh, it's a fantastic book in that particular paragraph uh, you know, or, or article, Joe, about bringing peace into the room and that this is how we do it. Yes, lovely idea. Sense of self-awareness. So um, I'll definitely share that in the show notes. Please do, yes. So, Joe, what would your final thoughts then be for listeners? Because I know we're hopeful uh, on this end. If we end on a note of optimism, we're hopeful now that we, I'm not sure we are coming to the end of uh, our lockdown periods, but I think we're coming to a period where we realise we're going to have to uh, change the way we uh, interact with each other to create the future we want and that we as individuals are going to have to step up and take responsibility for that. So what would your final message to listeners be on the themes we've discovered? I think on the level of restoration, there are going to be a lot of people that we're going to have to nurture mm. out of their cocoons, out of yeah. their fears and anxieties. Yeah. And that doesn't mean phony reassurance. It's going to mean listening to them as one part of this kaleidoscope of reactions mm. to what's gone on. Mm. I also think we have to guard against cynicism and mm. the sense of helplessness, which you and I know well, uh, you've seen learned helplessness in action where people say, I could never do this. And you say to them as a mediator, well, you just have, you just have, you've just done it. Mm. You've opened some a subject for us and you tell me, you never think of anything new, but you've just done it, you know, where we reframe that. I think that it's not a Pollyanna sort of thing. It's a genuine exchange of our fears and therefore a basis for talking about our hopes. Yeah. I think we're going to have to volunteer to be involved in public conversations. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to have to volunteer not and not be partisan. I've had to say stern words, I think, to colleagues who've sent me very distressing things on every side mm. of the recent war in Gaza, between mm. Gaza and Israel. And I've mm. actually said to one of them, how is what you're sending me helpful? Mm. And I said, I quote Carl Rogers, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Mm. Mm. Just reiterating the problem and saying everything's dreadful and it will never change is not going to help. We have to sit back and rack our brains about whether there is anything at all we can do that will bring about change. And that means we have to be vulnerable. We have to be in that room. And leadership will be enabling others to say what they need to say in order to make progress out of their difficulties. And we know our own difficulties. We've all got our difficulties from this time. 
so that we can do a process of restoration because society should be ever more precious now that we realize that we lost so much of it yeah. during the various lockdowns. And there is, as you know, right now one going on in Melbourne and mm. our Melbourners have had a, a, a great many of them. They've had four long lockdowns. Mm. So using COVID only as an example, there are a lot of anxieties and fears that that's brought up. We're going to have to be in those rooms and say to people, you are free to talk about it. Let's exchange those ideas. You are not, you are among friends. Yeah. So I our role as leader is the role of, you know, friend in this room to yeah. greet in a friendly way what people say, to hear it mm -hmm. rather than to analyze it or even reframe it mm -hmm. as just part of this kaleidoscope and say, and eventually when that's been said, to be able to say, how do we move on from here? What do you need? What do you need? What do we need? Mm -hmm. Because I'm hearing certainly from the United States, a great deal of me and not a great deal of we. And I want to hear more we than me. That's a great note to end on, Joe. More we <laughs> than me. Thank you. Thank you. So, Joanna Kolofsky, uh, as always, a, a huge pleasure uh, and inspiration chatting to you. And thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom. Thank you, Jane, and how lovely of you to set up this series. Thank Typical. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, please go to janegunn.co.uk slash video. The link is in the show notes. <laughs>